Hey, it's Stuart McKelvey, and you're listening to Wider How, a podcast where we explore adventures in STEM. On today's episode, I'm joined by the amazing Catherine Bowman. Catherine was raised in a family of CWSF alumni, with her older brothers participating before her. She was at Canada-wide Science Fair in 2011, 12 and 13, ISAF in 2014 and 15, winning a bunch of awards. And now in her early 20s, Catherine has just completed an undergraduate degree in health sciences, studying the effects of naturally occurring compounds from the lupin flower on lymphedema, an inflammatory condition afflicted with cancer treatments. She's presented at a TEDx event in 2019 and been included in Lifestyle Magazine's 2020 health list, Forbes 30 Under 30 Healthcare, Avenue Magazine's 40 Under 40, Think for Action's Top 20 Under 25, and also won the U Calgary President's Award. Most recently, she's presented at the Women's Forum Global Meeting virtual event and is pursuing a Doctor of Medicine with her PhD still to come. This is a conversation I'm certain you're all going to love. Catherine, welcome to the Wider How podcast. Thanks so much. I appreciate, uh, appreciate the invitation to be here. Of course. I mean, you're an incredibly high-achieving Canada-wide Science Fair alumni. It just made sense to have you on the podcast. <laughs> Thanks so much. <laughs> so let's jump straight into it, and we're going to start right at the beginning like we like to do with all of our guests, and that is chatting about your childhood. It's like a therapy session gets you on the couch here. <laughs> <laughs> were you a curious kid growing up? Tell us about I... little Catherine. Yeah, no, I certainly was. And I think, um, you know, growing up in a family, I have uh, three older brothers who are also Canada-wide uh, alumni as well. Um, we were raised in a family where all of us were encouraged to try new things and kind of explore what our niche would be um, if there was something that we found, you know, we were particularly interested in, say, you know, outside of maybe science fair. Um, an example would be like with music. Um, my parents would, would just be like, nurture the heck out of that. Like, oh, you're interested in piano? Like, let's go for piano lessons. Um, so we always had the opportunity, I think, to be curious um, through just the way that uh, our family interacted with each other. Um, and I think in, in many ways, I always looked to see what my brothers were doing and try out what they were trying, like mm -hmm. what they were doing. And yeah, it was always a, a, a cool place to be uh, growing up with uh, uh, kind of a small small army in the Bowman family. Yeah. <laughs> There's definitely a small army, can't confirm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I'm sure just a little bit of competition between between all of you. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I do get that question of like, oh, you're the youngest only girl. Mm -hmm. Was it competitive? And maybe just like in a playful sense, but I have to say like, um, you know, with my brothers, if they were doing something great or, you know, I was, I was off and, and doing say my research stuff, like just such a, a supportive bunch of people too. So there's kind of like that playful competition for sure. Um, but when it came down to it, like we're all just proud of each other and, and I think proud to be a sibling of one another. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you, you certainly are having known, having known Jordan, um, yeah. <laughs> a little bit longer than I've known you. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's a, it's a exactly. great family to be, be in. And so I guess, uh, your parents obviously very very supportive are they also in the sciences for people that, that don't know the Bowman family 
Yeah, so uh, my mom was a uh, palliative care nurse um, before she was diagnosed with cancer and then subsequently uh, lymphedema. Uh, so she did that for many years and, and obviously had a medical background um, through that. Um, my dad is the, was he retired now, um, manager um, of fleet and facilities for the police force in Hamilton. Um, so less on the science side of things, but... Um, you know, I look at them and I see my dad as just an amazing communicator, an amazing team player. And then my mom coming in with her, her medical background, um, excellent team player. And, um, I think between the two of them, it's just like an amazing constellation, uh, constellation of, uh, of traits and, um, yeah, super supportive parents who always encouraged us to explore and communicate with each other clearly. And, um, yeah, so they had a bit of a science background through mom, but, uh, um, you know, that's uh, that was what we were working with at the time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And in that melting pot, all of you beautiful Bowman children were created. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all perfect exactly. science communicators. That's it. <laughs> that's funny. <Yeah>. So, <laughs> so talking about your science fair projects and going way back in the day, um, quite all over the shop, really. So your first science fair project was talking about bacteria and reusable grocery bags. And then you moved on to muscle fatigue from holding computer tablets and then you were looking at the effectiveness of emergency vehicle lighting like you are all over the shop (laughs) yeah and i think i mean some of my my first projects there they taught me a lot um you know i think back to like yeah i think the project's name was like there's bugs in my bag was the uh uh, (laughs) the first one with the reusable grocery bags and Mm -hmm. and i remember that project very um distinctly because uh i worked with uh Jordan, my oldest brother, uh, to, to learn statistics as a grade seven student, he was like, you know, scientific process, like you need to not just, um, collect data and then present that you need to, to really look into your data, question it, use, um, you know, different tools to, to do that. And so, um, he's like, have you heard of statistics? And I was like, I'm 11. How old are you? Grade seven? 13, 12. Yeah. yeah. Anyways. Yeah, so I was like, no. And he was like, let's learn about it. And so he he taught me, you know, stats from early on. And I applied that to my project. And, um, you know, it. I think it's amazing, even though all of those different topics were very much, there's a lot of variation between them. Um, the underlying kind of scientific process came through. The ability to communicate your work effectively really came through. And then the big one, of course, is like the importance of mentorship mm-hmm. from day one projects they might have felt more simple back then compared to some of the research that I do now but um, these principles carry through um, no matter really what project you're doing which I think is the the power of something like a science fair is it teaches people from from an early age some really solid fundamental principles um, you know across uh, all sorts of things so yeah and Jordan's still as cool obviously as as he was back then (laughs) Yeah, oh, assistant cool. statistics brilliant yeah sounds about fun right. times <laughs> fun times in the bowman bowman home it's like oh it's friday night let's do stats i'm like okay <laughs> that's that's yep expected. why not yeah exactly <laughs> yeah. and so obviously you've had very supportive parents very supportive siblings um did you also have like friends that were supportive at school like did they understand this drive that you had to be doing all of these different science fair projects yeah i mean i think that's the the cool thing is like within the family you in many ways make friends with your siblings so i mm-hmm. had like you know three best friends at home type of thing 
But um, at school too, and especially when it, it got into um, kind of my research more so in high school, um, you know, I was spending time after school, like going to the lab or, um, you know, my weekends were writing proposals or whatever. And like, there was a very much, I think, maybe less time socially than what would be uh, um, anticipated or, or typical um, in in how we view teenagers, say, uh, mm-hmm. in society. Um, but I, I had, uh, I have some really wonderful friends and some of them to this day, like extremely close with them. Um, you know, my best friend from high school um, watched my research unfold uh, when it came to my mom and her lymphedema and things like that. Um, and that was my, you know, one of my bigger first science fair projects there. And, and yeah, she, I don't know, she just always was like, you're passionate about this. And she's, you know, was very passionate about theater and music and all these things. And we could just come together and, and share um, our kind of differing life experiences and perspectives at that point, um, which has carried through years later. Now, you know, it's like 10 years later and we're still have that back and forth. I'll call her and say, oh, like, you know, a long day in the lab and she'll be like, yeah, totally tell me about it. So yeah, yeah. yeah I really did um, have some uh, wonderful people around me. I was very privileged in, in terms of the community that surrounded me in terms of friends and family and even at the science fair itself, I know you interviewed mm-hmm. uh, one of my my best friends, Anne Makazinski, and You're part she, of that. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I listened to uh, the episode you guys did, and um, I, 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 yeah, she used to call me mom. I had like forgotten that detail, and like, you know, you make amazing friends through the science fair itself, and so in those moments where you might have uh, a long day or a long night writing up your project or collecting data, you have these little places in your mind that you can go to of like, you know, I'm doing this because I care about this topic. And I also know that there are people around me who support, um, support this pursuit and appreciate, you know, why I'm doing this and you can do the same for them in terms of whatever they may be passionate about in their lives. So yeah, definitely uh grateful for being able to kind of go through my my early teen years and late teen years with the science fair and and all the wonderful people i met through through those pursuits yeah do you remember your your first candlelight science fair experience or like do you remember just like the first i don't know introduction you had to the whole science fair community that you just you know dove straight into for the next six years of your high school life (laughs) yeah i mean i i remember so my introduction to science fair was was far earlier on with my my brothers mm-hmm. um, watching Jordan go through um, Canada wide and ISEF and then my brother uh, Patrick as well at Canada wide um, and my other brother David was doing our, our regional science fairs and things like that and um, so I always wanted to again kind of hang out with with my older brothers wanted to fit in with the cool cool gang which uh, so I was like I could do science fair too and um, so like as early as and this is before you know, I could qualify for Canada wide or, or ISEF as a, an older student, but, you know, grade five, I was doing projects and, um, trying different things because I could just see how much my brothers were, were eating it up and enjoying it. And, you know, I found my passion, I think early on there and used mm-hmm. my first couple of years to really build projects that I was like, okay, like <clears throat> going to try this out, what worked, what didn't between, you know, grade five, grade six, and then getting to grade seven and, um, that year was the, uh, the reusable grocery bag one and, uh, went to Canada wide. And I, I remember, I 
think that the big kind of image I have in my mind, and I could tell it was a very exciting moment, was walking into, um, I think the awards show, I don't know if it was Roy Thompson Hall, it was one of the big Toronto, uh, Toronto um, centers there, and uh, the dance afterwards, and having all the like, everybody was just so happy to be there with each other to celebrate, you know, each other's success, and um, yeah, I remember that that particular moment of I think it was the at the award ceremony that I was just like this is the coolest thing ever yeah. um and from there it was like you get hooked like you you do your your first couple science fairs and you see the people who are winning your best and fair type of thing and you're like man like looking at how they put their projects together and what you can learn from each other um it was really a, a special process and again something that I hold very close to my heart now as a, a scientist and as a, a medical student like the relationships I had built back then the things I have learned in terms of fundamental scientific principles like they are timeless very mm-hmm. much so yeah it's stage you in the right course as we exactly yeah, <laughs> yeah it, it's, it's, it's a foundation yeah and I think and I, I'm sure we'll we'll chat about it but uh, those kind of final projects that I did for Canada wide really did uh, give me a direction mm-hmm. uh, in terms of my career um, and um, in many ways I think a purpose uh, as a young person kind of moving through um, you know my late teens and now in my early 20s like it, I think many people could agree that that that's a challenging time. Um, as is 13 and 14, you're kind of figuring things out. And then, um, Stuart, I'm going to pause this. Did I just cut out? (laughs) Nope. You're good. Okay. Sorry about that. That's all good. Yeah. Um, yeah. So you, you spend those, yeah, 13, 14 trying to, to figure things out. And then once again, you kind of move into the world as a, a young adult and you're like, okay, like what am I going to do for the next 10, 15 years maybe? Um, and it's my science fair project gave me a lot of direction and has, has given me, you know, many tools to use as I, I move through uh, a time now of, you know, finding my place in the world as a young adult. And um, so, yeah, it's special on so many different accounts, most definitely. Well, yeah, let's, let's then talk about, I guess, the direction your life has taken that started, that started back when you were younger, back when you decided to jump right in with a science fair project that was candidly, like, well above your head at the stage, and you just <laughs> followed it through like every amazing student does. Um, uh, so, yeah, what was your eureka moment, I guess, that caught your attention and that, you know, that, that world around in your head that you couldn't get out of it, um, that, yeah. sparked, that sparked those last couple of projects and, and now your career, your life. Yeah. 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 I, um, so yeah, my, my grade 10 and grade 11 projects, uh, uh, they were, it was a continuation project between the two years. And, um, so the origin of that work, uh, came from when I was eight years old. Um, and so I mentioned, you know, my mom was a palliative care nurse before she had gotten cancer. And that was, you know, when I was eight, uh, she was diagnosed. Um, and that was a, a very uncertain time, um, for obviously, you know, many families mm-hmm. going through, um, whether that's cancer or another, um, illness, but, uh, my grandparents had just passed away from cancer the year 
two years prior and then my mom was diagnosed and um so after her cancer treatment she developed a lifelong incurable lymphatic disease called lymphedema and as a young person seeing you know my mom now struggle with this this chronic illness that uh, unfortunately a lot of uh, docs and, and frankly the research community as well like we don't know much about it uh, even though it does happen quite uh, frequently either uh, after cancer or it can be caused by uh, kind of like a genetic predisposition as well um I wanted to do something about it. There was no drug treatment for her, but I was just eight years old. And uh, I, I had made the promise to my mother that one day I would develop the first uh, drug treatment for her incurable illness. And uh, I think, you know, mom looked at me and said, oh, <laughs> what a tender thing to say. Mm-hmm. And like, my brothers yeah, were like, big chops, little Bowman. Like, <laughs> come on. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, that was my spark, I think, was way back when I was eight. And so I'd been, you know, watching my brothers do science fair before I was competing. And then I started to get into the process. And I thought to myself, like, maybe I can use science fair as a platform to to actually pursue this promise that I had made those years ago. And so, yeah, I was about 13, 14 at the time. So grade eight, grade nine. And I was thinking about what I would do for maybe grade 10 or grade 11 for science fair. And I wanted to start through this this kind of treatment research if I could and um yeah so I I basically started reading different research articles different magazine articles looking for how I would somehow develop a a drug treatment for something that hasn't uh unfortunately gotten the attention for a a drug treatment at the point uh, then and came across a particular set of compounds through like a it was a Canadian gardening magazine Okay. So like not, and it was, I was reading it for like for fun. It wasn't uh, um, like every co does. Oh, I'm doing, yeah, I was <laughs> yeah. Me and my gardening, which I don't garden now. So I don't know what that was, but it must've been on the table. Cause, cause mom loves, uh, loves gardening. And so I was like, opened up this, this magazine and uh, it, I read about these lupin flowers and um, they were flowers that had very strong anti-inflammatory pro- properties. And, you know, at that point, I was, you know, still in my early teens. And I think in many ways, that's a a huge advantage because you have that, that creativity, that mindset of, you know, why not try to put an anti-inflammatory on my mom's inflammatory condition? Mm -hmm. Um, And that was kind of the moment there of like, let's try to put this together. And so I had written out to the author of that magazine and he, you know, gave me a list of like, active compounds in the particular flowers interested in and so I went through and read through all these compounds and that's kind of how it got going um and it took me you know it took me some time to really obviously put together a research proposal a research framework it wasn't something that happened overnight um but in many ways it was uh an amazing alignment of both hard work and then of of chance, I had picked mm-hmm. uh, three compounds, and uh, one the one that I picked that I was like, okay, there's like maybe less evidence here of things that are like lymphedema that this would this would help, but like let's try it anyways. I think I might have liked the name, like it was something kind of like that. I was like, okay, and that is the one now, like seven or eight years later, that I actually still work with um, for my research because it's shown. Um, positive effects on the lymphatic system that's damaged by inflammation, which is, you know, mm-hmm. um, our model of, of lymphedema. And so, 
yeah, the Eureka moment revealed itself both over many years and then by reading a gardening magazine at my kitchen table. It's very scientific. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. But I, I do think that you do raise a very good point about the importance of being a youth in that situation where you don't know that you shouldn't be trying this. And that's yep. usually where the Eureka moments come from is that you're just purely curious and yes. you just have, you know, th- that curiosity on its own is enough to drive you know, the education and the research that follows. Whereas, you know, an adult 10 years further into their research career is probably more likely to just pass on something that doesn't seem likely, but it's in the not likely that amazing magic can happen. Exactly. And I think that that's one of the, um, you know, the big things that I've continued to, um, to see unfold as my career progresses. Um, but also just a message of, of not trying to, um, put boxes or, or, barriers around what you want to accomplish or Mm -hmm. um, in many ways, like when it comes to mentorship and I'm I'm sure we'll talk about that as well, but uh, um, you know, not putting limitations or boxes around um, a young person because of their age, like looking at, you know, there is potential. This person has potential. They are driven to learn. They are curious. uh, And those are some of the most fantastic attributes of uh, a scientist um, because that is exactly as you said, like those are your eureka moments. You try something and you think like nobody has ever thought before. Um, because why not? <laughs> so, exactly. Yeah. 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 Um, so I guess then what, what were the, the challenges you faced being a young researcher in high school trying to change a face of science in regards to lymphedema, for example? Yeah. I imagine there was a few. Uh, there were a couple. Yeah, I could probably give you a podcast on its own of, of some of the, <laughs> the the mountains felt like at the time for sure um, that we climbed. But I think that makes the journey all that more special. You get a view along mm-hmm. the way uh, and look back. So um, you know, a big a big one, honestly, was just even timing. So being a high school student, you are going to school like eight thirty until. Uh, 3 30 4 o'clock uh, every day and then afterwards it's like okay I gotta run to the lab um, and that might be four hours and I was also actively volunteering in my community I was in four or five different like musical bands as well and like you know all the the great things that you do as a, a teenager I was I was still you know able to do that um, but it was busy mm-hmm. and so you know some days I might feel like I get tired or um, you know as we talked about like um, wanting to connect with friends. Um, and so it, it, you know, things kind of worked themselves out, I think, um, in that regard. So my friends and I were able to to really appreciate the time that we were spending together, even though it might have been less um, than usual. We really made that time special with one another. Um, when I was going to the lab, it wasn't necessarily like a job of like, oh, I have to go do this. This was like, this is my, my me time. This is creative. There's mm-hmm rhythm to my experiments there is you know some intellectual stimulation with trying to to put together all these different designs and and frameworks and i was connecting with people who were passionate about making a meaningful difference in the world um which is again just such a wonderful thing to be surrounded by and to create a community with people who are are geared towards positive change so um 
yeah, that was one of the barriers was, I think, going from high school, learning kind of more broad basic sciences to then moving into like a very highly, honestly, highly specialized zone yeah. and kind of building that that learning triangle a little bit backwards or trying to make it meet over time was a challenge. Um, you know, other things of every couple, every once in a while you go into a meeting and people be like, you know, who's the... Who's the itty bitty? Who's the kid? Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, I was like, whose kid is this? Bring your daughter like, to oh, work day. <laughs> exactly. I was like, this is not bring your kid to, to work today. Like, this is this is the work I do. Yeah. Um, and so things like that where, um, you know, people may not have taken, taken me seriously. Uh, it happened a couple times. But through those experiences, not only did that, I think, build my own confidence and drive of like, no, I'm, I'm going to. I'm going to show you that I take this seriously. And um, I hope by the end of our interaction, you can take me seriously as well. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, um, and having a bit of a, a conversation around it too, like opening up the conversation of like, I, I can tell that you think I'm young, but let me tell you my story. And let, let me tell you why um, I'm here today and want to work with you. Um, so yeah, those were some of the barriers that honestly led to, growth into collaboration and an appreciation, I think also for the mentors who uh, uh, didn't necessarily, you know, place me into a box of, mm-hmm. of age or capability right off the bat. Um, they let me grow and I, I grew with them and yeah, it was, you know, beautiful lessons laced into the entire journey to be completely honest. What a good mindset. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> growth mindset, right? Yeah, we hear absolutely. it all the time. <laughs> yeah, that should yeah. be a book title. <laughs> Uh, so speaking of mentorship, we've discussed the importance of mentorship in both of the previous episodes. Um, mm. Mentorship comes up so often in, in any sort of science fair discussion or conversation that we have. Um, it's something that YSC is you know, looking to Im- do more of as well, just because we recognize the importance of it. Um, do you have any tips and advice for people how to like reach out to mentors? How did you find your mentors? Who were your, your first couple of mentors besides, obviously, your parents and your, your siblings that... I guess we're a mentorship, but a bit, a bit different. Yeah, no, I, and I, and I was going to say, I mean, um, I've had a couple conversations around, um, people who were surprised that I, I a hundred percent list my parents and my brothers as mentors. Um, mm-hmm. uh, because uh, to me, mentorship is, um, communal learning in, in many ways. And so we, they mentored me and I'm sure in different ways, like there have been lessons learned in, in both regards. So, um, yeah, my family, big source of mentorship and support, uh, certainly. Um, when I was first getting into kind of the lymphedema research, um, my early mentors, uh, one of whom was a, a actually she was a BASEF um, chaperone for my like grade seven, grade seven year, uh, Alison Boyd. And um, she was a PhD candidate at the time that I was starting up my lymphedema research. And so I had known her actually through the science fair to say, I'm trying to build a more, um, you know, almost like a cellular drug-based research project. Um, these are my ideas. These are the materials that I've understand that I might need. Mm-hmm. Can you, you know, help me to either understand these concepts more or put together kind of this proposal over time? So she was a, you know, huge mentor uh, for me. And uh, I had put together the, the research proposal with uh, her support uh, over that point and, um, the way in which I had reached out to, you know, potential labs and potential research mentors uh, to actually test my idea out, 
I um, did a lot of like looking at, you know, McMaster University at the time is where I, I lived near in, in Hamilton, Dundas, uh, U of T, uh, kind of the bigger research uh, research institutes that were in and around Ontario where I was growing up and um, sent out emails um, mm-hmm. to, you know, many different uh, professors started with um, having my, my ask up front um, so that someone didn't have to read, you know, four paragraphs on my life and my journey and what I wanted to do. I'm saying, you know, hi, my name is so-and-so. This is what I'm interested in. And I'm hoping that you may be able to support me. And so they know right away, okay, if I read through this email, there's an ask of this person would like my support. Yeah. So that would be actually a tip for for anyone who's looking to to write one of those bigger mentorship emails, uh, certainly is is have your ask up front, introduce yourself, um, so that they know who you are uh, and what you're interested in. But have your ask there, and then start to really get into your ideas uh, from that standpoint. The other big thing too um, that I think I learned is that uh, not everyone is going to be able to to mentor you or or support you um, in the way that you might hope. So when I had sent out my research proposal, I got a lot of responses back initially from people saying, this is a great idea, but unfortunately I don't do lymphedema work. I mm-hmm. don't do lymphatic work. And, and frankly, I don't know anyone who does, um, which was again, very telling of the situation of lymphedema yeah. and the lymphatic system. Um, and so not to, to be um, discouraged by that um, because quite honestly, it, it, it only takes one exactly. person to say, absolutely. And so, um, you know, I, I had gotten a lot of emails back saying, great work might not be able to help you and then uh over time i actually started to adjust my research proposal to work with a a particular researcher whom i had known through the science fair with basa uh to say you know it might not be exactly the lymphatic system but i know you work with the immune system which is you know the lymphatics are involved in that Mm -hmm. do you think i could try out my compounds in your lab and so I started to work at McMaster and that's how I got my first kind of lab mentorship um, space was, you know, breaking down your prod- your, your, your project into smaller pieces um, and really seeing, okay, what are the fundamentals here and is there a way I can make it work uh, even if I can't get exactly what I'm, I'm looking for up front um, and being patient with that. So I, I started early with those emails, um, certainly, yeah. got the nose, had time to adjust, started working at McMaster um, for my grade 10 project. And while I was there, I actually got an email from one of the only lymphatic researchers in Canada who is, is out here in Calgary. And he had heard about the 14 year old trying to, to cure lymphedema. And he had gotten a copy of actually my original research proposal before it was adjusted. Uh, it had gone through university of Toronto and was sent over to Calgary. And he said, would you like to come work with me for the summer? Um, and so that's how I got my kind of you know, second big lab mentorship space uh, was working with uh, Dr. Pierre Van der Weide uh, here in Calgary, and I, I still work with him uh, today. Mm-hmm. So I had uh, I was patient in many ways, not knowing I was being patient at the same time. Like of I was course, working yeah. at Mac, and then <laughs> and then this kind of amazing moment of alignment uh, came through. I, I moved out to Calgary for the summer after grade ten with my mom. Um, again, wonderful support and. Uh, mm-hmm ensuring that was a, a, a safe thing to do at the time, obviously, as a, a young person and was able to, to work with him. And um, his mentorship was uh, style was certainly um, he provided me with um, the tools I needed to not only progress through kind of my experiments, but 
uh, to explore a little bit and understand um, things about myself as a scientist uh, and how I might approach my work differently than, you know, say someone else in, in the lab through collaborative conversation and teaching me the fundamentals, things like that. Um, and then I had to, to move back. That was over my grade 10 summer. I had to move back to Ontario, go back to high school. Mm-hmm. And so that's another big piece when it comes to kind of mentorship or or flexibility with your research project, whatever it may look like, um, is again, don't limit, try not to limit yourself. It's easier said than done for sure. Um, and I, I ended up saying, okay, maybe there's a, another research lab in Ontario that I could transfer my experiments over from Calgary. And I did, I ended up, uh, finding a mentor through, I think it was a mutual friend who was like, I know this person who works with a similar cell type. I like put out asks to everyone. I was like, does Mm -hmm. anybody know of a lab? And it came through a mutual friend. And uh, so I uh, went into a a meeting after kind of getting an email introduction to this other mentor, uh, Dr. Richard Austin, and um, said, you know, would you be willing to meet with me? He said, sure. And I went into a meeting and said, you know, I'd love to be able to collaborate uh, and, and create a national partnership between these two labs Uh, transfer over some experiments and get things going here and uh, he's like where did you say you were coming from I said Calgary he's like I'm going there next week do you mind if I meet with Pierre Eve (laughs) I was like (laughs) wow wow right so again it's a mix of kind of these hard work obviously there was hard work but then these beautiful moments of alignment Mm -hmm. Rick met with uh, Pierre Eve and uh, we were able to to make that transfer happen have that partnership going Um, and then I started to engage kind of clinicians and and other researchers just over time. And, um, yeah, I think the big thing there was even though you may be young or something might also make you scared or uncomfortable of like, how am I supposed to walk into this meeting with this senior scientist who's like recognized all over the world for, for his work? Um, you know, my first mentor, Allison had said, sometimes you got to get comfortable being uncomfortable because it's in that discomfort zone that you grow so, so much. And it's very true. Um, you know, making sure that uh, you do push yourself um, because in moments in of discomfort, yeah, comes our opportunity for, for immense growth from that end. So knowing that uh, sometimes if you feel like not 100% sure about moving in a certain direction um, or going to that that big meeting, big research meeting, whatever it might be, uh, it's oftentimes those are the things that can change your life because those moments clearly matter to you. Uh, that's, you know, I think about some of the lessons I've learned through science fair. It's the difference between courage and fearlessness. And uh, fearlessness, you know, you kind of just, you go through life and you don't pay attention to the things that scare you. You just do it. Courage is um, perhaps even more powerful because it requires you to, to be with your fear. Mm-hmm. It requires you to, to pay attention to the things that matter. Um, and so that was uh, another big mentorship piece and kind of progression through science fair for me was recognizing that even though I was kind of nervous or uncomfortable, um, great things uh, were ahead. Most definitely, you just have to trust that process and trust in yourself. So, yeah. And talking about great things ahead, I guess we should talk about your current research then and where, yeah. all, of this, where <laughs> all of this discomfort has, has taken you to. Mm-hmm. Back to Calgary. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yes, I know. I was always um, a homebody, which I think is so 
like I as a young person like didn't like sleepovers because I didn't like leaving home Mm -hmm. and I remember thinking I was like how am I gonna like go to university if I don't want to leave home like maybe (laughs) I'll just go to Mac (laughs) uh but I have lived in Calgary for uh five years permanently and have been working here since uh for almost 10 years. <laughs> wow. So, yeah, yeah, I know. Wow. Oops. Let's <laughs> just that go across the country. It's fine. just happens. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So um, some of the work that I'm doing now, I've continued with my research. Um, mm-hmm. And we've been able to, to develop data showing, uh, again, that one particular kind of chance compound does have positive impacts on uh, lymphatic function when it's damaged by things uh, like inflammation, lymphedema. Uh, so that work is continuing, uh, which is pretty pretty exciting. Um, I've also been able to uh, kind of proliferate my my research repertoire or program beyond just the kind of biomedical um, uh, drug-based science and into looking at uh, kind of the patient experience actually of lymphedema and really trying to understand not only from a treatment development standpoint of, of drug treatments, but also just how we're, we're rolling out care for people mm-hmm. uh, in the medical system. You know, what's that like on a larger scale beyond, of course, what we've just kind of faced as our family? Uh, and how can we potentially remodel uh, our healthcare system to, to better diagnose lymphedema and get people into the treatments that do exist for it now, which is a lot of continual physical therapy? Uh, so I worked um, with Dr. Linda Carlson uh, on a um, project looking at, again, healthcare delivery and kind of the psychosocial side, the living components uh, of what it means to have lymphedema, to experience lymphedema. Mm-hmm. And then I went to clinicians like doctors and, and psychologists and said, what do you think of lymphedema? How do you think care is rolled out and how can we do better? What would be, you know, make it easier for you? And collected some amazing data on that and ended up developing uh, a novel model of uh, lymphedema care for our um, cancer centers in, in Alberta. So that's been taken up uh, well, which is pretty cool. Um, I'm now working in uh, kind of a more cutting edge side of, of lymphedema care as well. I've been able to collaborate with a couple of researchers uh, looking at surgical treatment of lymphedema. So, you know, taking uh, taking the one disease experience mm-hmm. and then going from kind of the drug treatment side of things and the basic physiology flipping into the patient experience and understanding the the human aspect the holistic aspect of what it means to to live with lymphedema and then now with these surgeries um one of the projects i'm working on is actually entirely trying to prevent lymphedema from ever happening when someone is getting cancer treatment and you know going so so far kind of uh, upstream to, to try mm-hmm. to prevent it um, and then another out of University of Toronto uh, that I'm working on is uh, looking at yeah kind of perioperative or not perioperative post-operative um, after cancer treatment trying to uh, reduce lymphedema through surgery so it's yeah it's taken so just a couple of things so on many, your plate. just a couple yeah just a couple, no yeah. it's it's a fun time I like it, it's it's amazing to see how again that single spark from Mm -hmm. when i was eight has has led me to be able to to work with so many incredible mentors and colleagues and really trying to as we you know like to say like change the face of lymphedema uh for the better so that it's regularly recognized people are getting diagnosis and treatment Mm -hmm. and then hitting it from the far side of like let's try to develop those treatments um Thank you, Science Fair, is what I, I can really say, <laughs> because it, it has given me a different direction than I think I would have ever had if I, I 
hadn't had that opportunity to really, um, you know, get my roots uh, planted uh, in this type of research as a, a high school student. Yeah. Yeah, and like we can't, we can't even possibly downplay how much you're actually trying to take on right now. And you're you're literally attacking every aspect of lymphedema, the and the experience associated with it from you know trying to pre- prevention, treatment, and aftercare. It's a full three sixty degree approach to healthcare, which isn't something you see very regularly. Yeah, I think you often see the the kind of siloed. Mm-hmm. siloed healthcare, which is important for organizational purposes, but um, certainly when you have something that, um, you know, like lymphedema that spreads across so many different um, medical homes or specialities and, and doesn't have its own discipline, yeah. it requires you to bridge those gaps. Um, and whether that's, you know, bridging uh, two departments and, and trying to improve communication there, or from just a research standpoint, being able to kind of attack this particular disease from all of these different angles has given me an appreciation for uh, the continuity of, of the scientific pursuit. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, as a bench scientist, you're not just staying in a lab and working on, you know, projects for hours and hours. I mean, you are going to conferences and communicating your work to scientists or to patients, sorry, scientists, doctors, patients, like healthcare staff. Yeah. Um, it really does transcend that one silo. So, Yeah. Yeah, humans unfortunately aren't quite black and white. We don't fit silos as as nicely as our mind would like us to. So that makes it so much more fun, though. Right? Yes, it yeah. does. Ah, exactly. And that's why it's important that you do science fair projects. And for you, for example, you know, three completely different science fair projects for your first three years. It's mm-hmm. it's all about building those fundamental skills you need that can take you in any sort of area or any sort of direction that you need to go when you start discovering new things in the the, the cross-discipline approach is so important and, and at the basis of that is science communication and i think that's it's somewhat overlooked i guess mm-hmm. um and maybe not quite recognized that science fair first and foremost teaches you communication you're not going to win science fair if you can't communicate your project mm-hmm. or your ideas you're not going to get a mentor if you can't communicate you're not going to get it into a lab or you know any of these yeah. other amazing achievements that you've managed to do in such a short time if you can't communicate your idea. Which I think is like, you know, the the kind of cool thing of, of um, realizing that to be, in, in my eyes, you know, to be a, an, effect, uh, an effective um, scientist, uh, it's about returning to our humanity and mm-hmm. realizing the importance of being with one another in order to create change. Um, I, I remember, I forget where the term came from, but uh, myself as a, a compassionate bench scientist, um, that's one of my my kind of big goals or, or uh, another big message I try to, to convey is the importance of compassion in in doing research and, and doing things that I think um, perhaps uh, media or society can, can view as uh, scientists being stuck behind microscopes and that's it. Yeah. It's like, oh, this is the most incredible collaborative compassionate and curious group of people that you can meet uh when they really get going and and get chatting on a a particular topic uh it's amazing what can happen and get chatting we can do (laughs) as evidenced by these these podcasts (laughs) yeah exactly so speaking of uh humanity human nature and holistic i guess um it's a good point in the conversation i guess to talk about your other pursuits outside of your science career which 
unbelievably so you've somehow managed to fit in being able to play like every instrument. <laughs> um, you're also like super outdoorsy. Like we went for a mountain hike, I guess a yeah. year and a half ago it was now. A year and a half um, ago. Like, climbing those mountains that you said was such a challenge when you were a kid. Oh, yeah. Now we're doing it literally. <laughs> literally yeah. climbing mountains. Um, yeah. How, yeah, how do you, firstly, have time for hobbies and other interests? And then, secondly, how do you see the importance of these hobbies and interests in your in your life? And how does that affect you as a scientist? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, um, so the first piece of your, your question of, like, how do you make time? Um, I think... If something is important to you, you always make time. And I know that's like a, a roundabout answer or whatever, but like somehow uh, in a 24 hour period, uh, yes, I, you know, even if it's like five or 10 minutes a day of playing guitar, um, I know that that is important to me because I'm interested, like curious to get in terms of improving my skill, but then mm-hmm. also just from a like, um, um, being mindful in the moment and, and trying to center myself around something that, you know, is very different than my day to day as a researcher, as a medical student now. Um, it's a very wonderful space to be in, even if it's just for a little bit of, of time. So, yeah, you make time when you can and you do it in ways that even if it's a short number of minutes, you are just so focused and mindful of of the space that you're existing within. Uh, at that that period um and knowing that like yeah i think about hiking like our hike that's one of the places i go now in my mind if i'm like super busy or stressed or whatever i'm like oh i remember that time we climbed castle mountain it was like 33 kilometers and 1700 meters up yeah and like jordan was like yeah that's fine whatever let's do it, it yeah was, and like, i was coming running for super late for work so we had to sprint yeah. back down to the car <laughs> so i could like, get to work on time and like oh man even though there was like moments of that hike that i was like wow this is a long one or wow Stuart is gonna be like really late um i go there and that's like a peaceful moment for me we were exercising we were outside beautiful views great like company all of these different things mm-hmm. so you just like find pieces uh, to appreciate um when you have the time to to do those things um for sure. And then how they all kind of tie together. I mean, um, especially with my music, like that is, again, my source of creativity and um, my source of being able to clear my mind. Um, you know, two things that I think are super important when it comes to, to research or if I'm, you know, uh, in the clinic here and providing care to someone, um, you'd need to have a clear mind in those moments um and you need to know how to get get that clarity and even if it's like i'm you know at the hospital and and feeling like things are so so busy it's like how do you remember you know that one chord progression um you know i might play that in my head as i'm walking into a a session for for our um clinical skills or or if i'm in in a clinic uh, themselves and just like taking those moments to return to or when I'm playing and writing music, like for the first um, first 12 weeks of med school, I wrote uh, two-minute instrumental pieces um, every week. Uh, I only gave myself 20 minutes, again, mm-hmm. in a short period of time. But now I have an entire album of music that tracked my progression and my, my creativity over those 12 weeks. Um, and that kind of informs, again, how I want to be creative, if that's with my studying, with how I'm connecting with people in a different way, um, in a post, 
or even while it was in a pre-COVID world, I would actually bring my guitar into long-term care homes and play for residents on weekends Mm -hmm. um, as almost like a form of music therapy. Um, So again, you know, these things that uh, seem like hobbies uh, certainly incorporate themselves into my my day-to-day work as well. So it's kind of cool. Yeah, I think we haven't quite gotten great at recognizing the importance of hobbies and having a clear mind in affecting the mindset that you then take into your work or your your other passions sure. or your career. Um, you know, like I always like to use the example, there's a reason why most of the ideas, most of the, the original ideas that come to people is when they're in the shower, for example. It's, it's usually because like that's the one period of time in their life when they can purely just shut down and just like let their mind rest at ease. Um, yeah. you know, we're so used to just like jumping on our phone if we're bored or we don't give ourselves time to ever, ever have an original thought because there's always some sort of input going into it. So, you know, something exactly. like music or hiking or I don't know, it could be a million different things. Like all these sort of passions, the reason why they're so important to us is that they give us time to just be in the moment and let our mind just work on things in the background. Exactly. No, I a hundred percent agree with you and like living, you know, living out here in, in Calgary and, you, I'm sure can appreciate this in uh, in Banff, like to have access to like mountains and nature and all these very inspiring things, and to you know um, get your ideas, as you said, like not just from uh, just being aware of of kind of the noise that that does exist around us. Like you you will learn things over time, but then to listen to the silence that is interlaced between all of it is an amazing thing. Um, because yeah, that silence is so so insightful, right? And and yeah, so I I hundred percent agree. And I think that like, yeah, being able to go out camping or go out hiking and and just being in solitude in nature um, plays a huge role in how I might play out a a week at work or at school. Yeah. Talking about insightful, I mean, we've gone I mean, there's so <laughs> so many things that I'm sure people can learn from this. Um, but I know we're dragging on a bit, so I just want to hit like oh, one yeah. last key piece and that's the influence and I guess your future direction for you um I know that you're now currently studying a doctor of medicine at Calgary uh you're planning on doing a PhD you've also uh you're the vice president of the Alberta Lymphedema Association after being the youngest board member back in 2016 an incredible achievement um you also do like uh what's the let's talk lymphedema campaign that you run worldwide to share your research and advocacy journey i mean there's just so much on top of your research that you're also doing uh like what what is driving this this desire yeah. to volunteer and share your wealth of knowledge and mentorship and mm-hmm. yeah i mean the the joking answer would be that I get bored easily, and so I just need to do so many things. That's yeah. not that's not truly my driving factor, but sometimes that's I wonder if I just have a terrible attention span. Um, no, um, truly, I think it is as we talked about. It's that human experience. Mm-hmm. It is um, something that I, I actually had a conversation um, was on a, a different podcast um, a couple months ago. And I had this this conversation with my mom, and uh, I was kind of uh, at the time trying to figure out, you know, what specialty I might be interested in for med school. And there's particular one that we were talking about, and she said, you know, Catherine, I wouldn't be surprised because I have watched you fall in love with humanity uh, over these these past years, and I think that is is my driving factor is is love. Mm-hmm. And 
the um, just the trying to see what can happen when we um you know put love into the world and work with people towards a common kind of that common goal um i know it's you know you think about uh, science and having that of course very important objective view but then also taking a moment to step back afterwards and, and saying like you know this could really help somebody one day uh or giving those talks and um you know i was over uh, giving a talk in in Ireland a couple of years ago, or um, actually was just part of a conference is digital, mm-hmm. um, of course with COVID uh, in of France, course. and and you know some of the common topics that were coming up through it was a tech conference, and then this other one was kind of it was called the Global Women's Forum, uh, was really just how we can learn to be with each other in a different way and using our skills and our talents and our differing life experiences to come together as a collective. Um, so that's how I do it, I think. <laughs> and in many ways, maybe I'll have new insight in a year or in 20 minutes or something that is different. But I really do think that, um, you know, using my value of, of love uh, to communicate and, and to live my life and, and lead my life is, is what keeps me going. So, I mean, that's beautiful. Maybe you should take up poetry now as well, just yeah. to add, <laughs> add to your amazing list of accomplishments. <laughs> I actually this is a funny thing of like I, I started to have these really interesting chance encounters with just people um, over the years that I um, started to write uh, I'm working on it's almost like a blog of like these reflections mm-hmm. uh, that are teaching me these amazing life life experiences it's called the space between us because it you know it is emphasizing the importance of what we can learn from each other and with each other uh, so it's funny you say that because I feel like in many ways some of those reflections are like hitting on poetry a little bit at times. I'm like, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely a, you definitely have a mindful mind, that's for sure. Like you, you, you pay attention to the moments and you pay attention to the experiences. You're not just head in the books, head in the microscope, um, as easy as I'm sure that could be to do. Um, but I mean, the, like the other important piece that we haven't even talked about is that you still mentor students and science fair projects you know, for BASEF, even though you're living in Calgary, which is just another incredible um, way of you being able to give back and just show the love that you have for the science fair organizations. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, I think, you know, some of the the relationships I've, I've built with uh, some of my mentees over the years, like I have learned so much from them or uh, and, and reading some of these projects coming through, I'm just like, holy moly, like we got some of the coolest people coming through these science mm-hmm. fairs who are just doing amazing, amazing things. So yeah, it is a, an absolute source of joy being able to, to mentor uh, some of our students uh, around the science fair time. Yeah. The power of youth is truly something absolutely incredible. Um, I mean, you did a whole TEDx talk on how young leaders can actualize their big ideas. Um, Everyone should stop this. No, don't actually stop this episode. After this episode, (laughs) everyone should go watch this TEDx talk. I'll make sure I link it in the show notes. Um, I, I've never watched a 20-minute TEDx video twice in a row. Uh, this is the first one. Uh, my favorite quote was, you don't need to wait for the rest of the world to catch up to your novel thinking. You just need to begin. I mean, yep. damn. That, <laughs> that is that's the, a mic drop moment. And I think that is that is one of the big lessons. That That is the sentence or two, I guess, that I seem to have, have lived. Um I wanted to begin and I decided it was time and you make it work along the way 
you get the support in place that you need. You break it into little pieces over time, and before you know it, you're uh, you're climbing a mountain, and it's a pretty cool thing. Yeah. Yes, it is. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> well, Catherine, thank you so very much for being a guest on today's episode. Uh, this conversation has been full of inspiration, motivation, and just gems of advice uh, I don't know how I'm going to just choose 10 quotes to publish on Twitter and Instagram <laughs> after this but I, I, I really do truly hope that our listeners continue to reflect on the things that we've learnt through this conversation and that they think about their own adventures in STEM because you, I, I don't know how else to describe your career but as an adventure it's <laughs> I would tend to agree, thank you, yeah, I totally agree uh, definitely was and, and thanks so much for having me today, I think this is uh, an amazing way to be able to continue the conversation uh, around the, the impact of, of STEM and STEAM with uh, young people. So, yeah. I can't wait to see what you achieve for the rest of your career. And I can't wait for the day when you can finally announce that you have cured lymphedema and everything yeah. that comes along with it. <laughs> exactly. No, thank you so much. And I look forward to, uh, to our next hike. It's going to happen. I think it's going to happen. Can't yeah. wait. Can't wait. <laughs> Thanks so much for joining us in this episode of Why to How, a podcast where we explore adventures in STEM. If you liked this podcast, consider leaving us a like on our social media. It's just ysc.sjc on Facebook and Instagram, ysc underscore sjc on Twitter. Leave us a comment with your favourite part of the interview and let us know your thoughts on the topics that we discuss. And please do share a link to the podcast or the YouTube video with friends who you think might also love to follow along and if you're on apple podcasts please leave us a review as it really does help us reach more people we'll have another amazing guest for you on the next episode so stay tuned for more and until then stay curious and have a lovely day